Straight from the WCHL studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, 97.9 The Hill presents the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show with your host Chris and C.L. Brown. Tonight, the brothers debate the effects of the G League's new contracts on college basketball, tuck Appalachian State in the polls, and welcome Jamel Hill, staff writer for The Atlantic. And now, your ticket to the backyard brawl, the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show. Welcome to Le Grill of 97.9 Z Hill. Our menu offering tonight, sports souffle, marinated and statistical fact, broasted by Chef C.L. Brown of TheAthletic.com Kitchen. Also featuring the way-to-go casserole, lightly sprinkled with gridiron sauce, whipped up by Chef Chris Brown of the Thunder Sports Network. Vive le big dance! This is Sibling Rivalry Sports. Sierra, what you having for dinner, boy? What accent was that supposed to be exactly? People in France know. People all over France right now are tuning in. It's going viral just big time right now. I thought it was Italian. (laughs) (laughs) Italy, too. Romance languages. One of them European countries. (laughs) Wow. Romance languages. Welcome, welcome. How, How you been doing? Great. Um... Hey, man, we got a great show lined up today. Oh, I'm, ex- I'm yes. excited about it. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's Hey, let's just get into it then. Let's go ahead with the big playback. Big playback topic this week. The G League, the NBA G League, is the NBA G League a threat to college basketball? No better person to talk to this about about this than the senior writer from theathletic.com college basketball. Yeah, specifically, the G League announced that it's going to start offering select contracts as basically as a professional path and an alternative to to kids who are essentially one and done college players right now. So it's not like uh, and of course, right now the G League doesn't pay a lot if you're just regular Joe in the G League. But these select contracts are going to be for one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. It'll be a one-year deal, which is essentially saying for the, for the kid that would come out and just be a one and done college guy. It's essentially saying you can get one hundred twenty-five dollars legally. One hundred twenty-five thousand. One hundred twenty-five thousand, which which apparently it is FBI corruption. Uh, trial in college corruption in college basketball trial it seems like 100 G's ish is the going rate to pay players so uh, what it's essentially doing is saying hey you know you don't have to worry about eligibility issues or whatever you can come here get NBA structure and and play for pay now what uh, so they it's one year can they do it in second year or can they not re-up? for that amount if if you end up the the thing is so it's it's also designed for kids that aren't eligible to be drafted yet which they may change the one and done rule which is an NBA rule people misconstrue it sometimes and think it's college basketball it's an NBA rule you have to be a year out of your dra- your graduating class from high school before you can go pro 19 years old so I think people are getting too, I don't know, I don't know why. I feel like college basketball people are getting too up in arms over this. I don't think, first of all, we're talking about a a select number of kids. We're not even talking about a a vast majority of kids uh, that will be playing college basketball. We're talking about a very select few. We're also talking about 
kids that some some of these kids may not even want to be in college. To be honest, they oh, feel yeah. like it's their only yeah. way. You know, right. it's, yeah. it's 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 which is a good option. But this is just another option. I don't think this is going to lead to the demise of college basketball because no a couple of kids might decide to to bet on themselves in their future and take this route. Okay, no, I agree. Not the demise, but, you know, is it a threat? Could it hurt college basketball? Let me just say this, because I I didn't quite know this, but G League used to be known as the D League. So, you know, and then prior to that, prior to 2005, back to when it began in 2001, it was the National National Basketball Developmental League. So that's what it is now morphed into being called the G League with a heavy nod endorsement from Gatorade, right? Yeah, that's that's it. That's well, why they changed it from the wait D a minute, to what, the G. Okay, what happens when Gay when that ends? Are they going to change it again? What's the difference between NASCAR going from Winston Cup Series to Sprint to? Okay. you know what I mean. All like right. it's just the title sponsor. Thank you for quantifying that. All right, so let me just ask you though. Yes, it'll only be a, a select few, and it's invitation only, right? So it's yes. not going to be a, a tonnage. But will it usurp star power from the NCAA? That's what I want to know. Because, look, can you can you right now, what can the average fan, not you, a guru of college <laughs> basketball, the, you're not even a fan, you're, you're a journalist, the average fan, what, how many college basketball stars can the average fan reel off? How many? That's a good question. I, I mean, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. I think some of it is determined in season, you know, right, the, true, different kids true. emerged. I don't think anybody thought much. Well, not they didn't think much, but Trey Young from Oklahoma last year, yes. when the season started, he right. was just another freshman. He true. His play emerged him into, sure. bam, this guy is something else. Yes. So that will certainly still happen, regardless of kids who take advantage of this G League. That will still happen. You will also have the kids who have been in college a couple of years and have a breakout season. Luke May, for instance, comes yes. to mind, mm-hmm. where you know, and it, Luke May is an exception. Don't get me wrong; we're right. not going to have Luke May every That's year, right. but it happens. So yes. you will have college basketball still building okay. its own stars okay. uh, to to a certain extent. And I mean, let's be real here: you have blue blood programs right down the road, for instance, and and around the nation, where fans are following the team because of the team and the institution and the coaches that are sure. still there. Not yes. necessarily they know the players are going to change from right. year to year and fluctuate. True. And they True. also know within that structure somebody's going to be a key player. Somebody's going to be a superstar for True. that team. The superstars at Duke and Carolina and Kentucky and Kansas, they're going to be national you know, there will be national college basketball figures that people can name. Okay, but now here's the downside of it all. NCAA basketball TV ratings are down. Did you know that the championship from 2018 this year was down 30% in ratings over the previous season? What is that? Well, it wasn't on CBS. Correct me if I'm wrong. It, it, it went from regular TV to cable, if you will, which was part of the reason for the drop. But TV viewing overall is down. People people view stuff differently now. Even even sports related, TV it, the viewing habits are different for this generation. True, so, but I want to say though, this includes like the plus one and DVRs and streaming. That they're taking that into account with these ratings numbers. So it's not not taking those into account. So they, they're saying basically there is a, a drop in ratings. You're always gonna love your school. 
period, point blank. You're always going to love your school. You're always going to want to see them play basketball and football or whatever else. That's not going to change just because some kid decides uh, or a few kids take their quote-unquote star power to the G League. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, I, I think I just see this as a positive. Like, I don't see I don't see any negatives in this. This is just another option. I mean, what about the kid that has a financial hardship? Sure. And and if anything, you could make an argument that it'll clean up some of the cheating. Yeah, some some no, of those people that I, I might be vulnerable that. to take money to have their hand out, mm-hmm. now they can go get their money. You know, <laughs> well and they have to be invited to get their money. True, true. But there, there's a path that, that's laid forward now that didn't exist, and, and they'll start this next summer. Um, and it'll also like. Make way for people to make money off their likenesses. If Nike mm-hmm. wants to take a chance, you know, yeah, Nike funded uh, Marvin Bagley's old AAU program out in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So, and Marvin Bagley Jr., his dad, ran the program. Mm-hmm. So, Marvin Bagley III ended up signing with Puma anyway, but Nike probably, if this, if this rule was in effect, mm-hmm. Nike probably would have signed him out of high school mm-hmm. on a G League team he wouldn't have got the money he got with Puma but Puma's trying to break into the business so they had to basically overpay to get a talent like Marvin Bagley but you, you get the idea like you will mm-hmm. be able to make your money you know okay. so and that's that's ultimately what it comes down to all right, good enough then. Good enough. We got so many other good things in the show. This could have gone on even more, but this is a great conversation. But speaking of great conversation, you are not going to want to miss what comes next. We have Jamel Hill right here on Sibling Rivalry Sports. Come back after listening to our friends here on 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back to the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show on 97.9 The Hill. We have a treat for you with our next segment. Already call her uh, my favorite guest before we even have any questions. Nice. You may know her, and I'm channeling my inner Randy Watson here. You may know her from the What's Going Down episode of SC6. Please welcome Detroit's own Jamel Hill. Jamel, how are you? Hey, how are you guys doing? That's, that's some intro right there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was going to take it to Jackson Heights on, but I didn't think everybody would understand that. So, <laughs> uh, And I didn't even mention your proper title yet because I believe you're past that now. If you, if you have one more president that knows your name, you, uh, you're you going to be first name status only like Beyonce or yeah, something. Yeah, that's true. You're right. You're exactly <laughs> this right. This is going to be Jamel. That's true. It might already yeah, be that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting, though. Um, as I said, uh, I've said that before. The last few presidents have known my name, albeit for totally different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No doubt, no doubt. Well, um, now you you know a lot of people know you from your time at ESPN. Now you're transitioning to uh, getting back to the essence, getting back to writing uh, at the Atle- Atlantic. I'm about to say athletic myself. <laughs> he's recruiting you, Jamel. He's recruiting you. That's secret recruitment right there. <laughs> Staff writer yeah. covering sports, race, politics, and culture with the Atlantic. Um, how how's the transition been for you so far? Uh, it's been great. Um, the Atlantic is a perfect home for me. Uh, the types of stories that I'm, I'm writing now, um, it's stories I've actually written throughout my whole uh, career. A lot of us actually have. But now 
it's turned into an actual beat and an actual emphasis in a lot of different places. So I was doing similar work for the undefeated before I left ESPN, but in, in with this publication, I'm able to kind of go even harder and make an even harder link between politics and sports, race, culture, gender, and, uh, you know, the, the type of publication, The Atlantic, is very big picture, but yet very nuanced. And so uh, there was just a lot to love about joining such a, an incredibly um, accomplished publication. Now, I also wanted to, to bring out, too, I understand that you and Kelly Carter, first of all, y'all were roommates at Michigan State? We were, yeah. So Kelly is the one that knows we, where all the bodies are buried. And, <laughs> and we, uh, we've actually we've joked with each other, like, you know, we can like never break up as friends because we just know too many secrets about each other. So we've got to keep this going, at least for self-preservation. But, yeah, Kelly and I uh, were roommates, and I was also her boss at one point because, I was managing editor of the campus newspaper, and um, oh. you know I had to I had to whip her in the shape, you know, <laughs> teach her everything about the game. And essentially, is the whole reason behind her success. But uh, <laughs> I don't want to brag. Or no, no brag. We're, no we're brag. gonna have Way to, to make sure Kelly gets a copy of this <laughs> this <laughs> audio. Right. Uh, but but you you all are are pairing together with your own production company now too. Can you uh, kind of expound on on what? What brought you to this point, and what are some of the projects you guys want to take on? Well, uh, as you guys know, a big part of our business is storytelling. And for 20 years, for me, that storytelling has been through sports and been for places like ESPN and, and obviously in, in newspapers. But if you all notice, um, between the streaming services, the type of very nuanced, great, versatile content that is now out there for people of color more and more people are investing in content. And so uh, you look at the billions that Netflix is putting in the conf- uh, into content. I mean, mm-hmm. Every time you go on Netflix, they are there's like six new series you hadn't even heard of. And <laughs> True. they always have something there um, in between Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. And even what ESPN Plus is doing, it's just the, the doors for content have been blown wide open. And so... Kelly and I wanted to kind of get in on this renaissance that's happening now. We see the success like shows like Atlanta and Insecure and Power. I mean, there's just so many more, um, you know, possibilities for stories to be told about people of color. And we formed this production company uh, last August, and we knew that we wanted to, um, you know, really get into the game. But it was something that we were prepared to kind of do um, almost in a, in a, in a, with a slow, stair-step pro- uh, process. Then somebody had to go and tell the truth about the president, and so things got set up a little bit. And um, so as a result, you know, there was a lot of doors that opened that were, you know, not there previously. And so, uh, you know, as maybe when I left ESPN, and I really wanted to kind of jump all in and help us launch this thing. So one of the immediate things that we're developing right now is with Sony and Gabrielle Union. It will be also an uh, uh, executive producer on this comedy series that we want to do that's loosely, um, loosely, <laughs> underlying loosely, Emphasize. based off Kelly and I, uh, off our friendship. So um, so we have, you know, that uh, in development right now, and um, we have uh, more than a few other projects that are out that uh, we feel pretty good about. So it's an exciting time 
I think, for us and for anybody who wants to jump into the content game. That's awesome. I, I just want to add for our listeners that Kelly Carter is the senior entertainment reporter right now for ESPN's The Undefeated. She's also worked uh, with the Chicago Tribune, USA Today, on and on and on. All right. Yes. Uh, Jamel. So this is Chris here. Uh, Jamel. So you said you're, you've been, you know, doing this type of thing for, you know, what did you say? 30 years or 30? Tw- <laughs> no, no. Cause I was just going to say you've been doing it since you're like five years old then, which is, that's some kind of record. Let's just get that on the record. Listen, J- Jamel, I got a pitch for you. Okay. For your production company, a show, uh-huh. a new show. It would be called the siblings. It's about a, no. a, a rock star <laughs> reporter and his priestly brother who, through prayer and supplication, keeps him on the straight and narrow. <laughs> wow, you threw that extra biblical word out there. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I see you. Um, loosely yeah, um, loosely based <laughs> on... <laughs> Okay. That just made me think, Jamel. You you probably need to stay away from like uh, beauty shops and barber shops because I imagine you probably get a lot of pitches once people find out you got production company. Well, uh, there's certainly been a lot of people who have um, you know thrown some pitches our way, which is you know which is fine um, because there's a lot of really good ideas out there. You know, a lot of people um, have. You know, there's a lot of people who just don't necessarily have access or the positioning. And especially, as you know, a lot of journalists have, like, really awesome stories. I mean, I'm sure if you sat down and and thought about some of the things that you've seen before, you probably could come up with a movie pitch in, like, 10 seconds, you know. (laughs) And so, um, no, but, yeah, you're right. We're we're getting uh, a lot of requests and a lot of people who have ideas. um, And, you know, there's a percentage of them that have actually been good. Some of them is like, no, I'm not going to write about your mama's third baby daddy. Like, I'm just back home and have a show for that. So, they got reality you know, shows for that type of thing. Yeah. I mean, we do have some re- reality show pitches that are pretty interesting. So, um, hmm. And as I said, like, uh, we want to get into scripted and unscripted TV and film. So they're definitely, there's, uh, there's actually one reality show, um, a tasteful, tastefully done, that we have uh, – <laughs> that we have out right now that um, uh, we both feel pretty good about. Nice. All right, so, Jamel, I'll have my agent contact you about the siblings. Uh, listen, <laughs> hey, um, okay. the next uh, question I had, I just was at wondering, you being Michigan State grad all the way, I would love to know if you were planted right out there in the field just doing your thing pregame this past weekend when Michigan State was doing their walk across and, of course, the Michigan guys refused to move, what, how would you have navigated that? What would you have said right there to those guys? Well, I, to be honest, I, I was really happy to see that because um, there have been some years where the rivalry has felt one-sided. And by one-sided, I mean where it's felt as if Michigan State has taken it more seriously and more personally than they did because mm-hmm. the national narrative is that Michigan's rival rivalry is Ohio State. True. If you have been to Michigan, mm-hmm. you know the in-state rivalry and the, certainly our most important rival from a Michigan State standpoint is Michigan. And we are not only – we are horribly offended that people – just overlook us and immediately like, oh, they're rivals of Ohio State. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> um, so that's just like kind of another chip on the shoulder. But to given the way that Michigan reacted to beating us, they clearly took it personally 
how they have been leading into this game, beaten eight out of ten times. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Their quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins is one, never lost to Michigan. There was hmm. a, a huge gap there where a Michigan player would, would leave there um, having never beaten Michigan State. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to see that that contentiousness is back in this rivalry because, you know, Michigan has realized they just can't keep taking these L's to us, <laughs> I think is a good thing. And so um, I wasn't bothered by what Devin Bush did. I wasn't bothered by the Michigan State players walking through there. I mean, we've seen these kind of incidents throughout this rivalry, the flag planting, the little brother. This is what is supposed to happen. It's supposed to be petty. Like, if it's not petty, then why, how is it a rivalry? So you would have been fanning the flame. and you'd be, Oh, did you oh, hear what absolutely. he said? Did you hear what he said? Oh, I, look, I tell all my friends that went to Michigan, most of whom didn't actually graduate from there, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to tell all my friends who are Michigan fans, you better block me if we win. <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm a sore winner and a sore loser. I'm a real combination. So it's like I was going to let them hear about it, and that's why when they beat us now, I was like, go ahead, talk your stuff. Like, you scoreboard, I got nothing to say. Mm-hmm. You know, they. I mean, the offense – Perform so badly. I've seen like kitty flag football teams get better offense than what we generated against Michigan. So um, I understand how this goes, but you know they they got another 360 plus days to talk, and we'll see what's up in Ann Arbor next year. <laughs> nice, no doubt. Well, speaking of midfield beef, what what was your take on Eric Reed for the Carolina Panthers and and his uh, I don't know if confrontation is the right word, but his back and forth with Malcolm Jenkins of the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday, last Sunday. Well, and that has been bubbling for a while. And, you know, there's a lot that's happened. I think Eric Reed and, and by extension, Colin Kaepernick, um, they've been extremely disappointed in the fact that when Malcolm Jenkins and the other players in the Players Coalition met with the NFL, that Colin wasn't necessarily a part of it, even though it was a movement that he created. Mm-hmm. Now, depending on who you believe, I don't know if it was a thing where they felt like they could not get as much accomplished for um, those social justice issues that they wanted to stay committed to if Colin were at the table, given how the owners felt about him and the lawsuits that he has pending. Um, and both him and Eric Reed, that they felt like because of their collusion cases, cases that would make things more complicated, or was this just a, you know, a thing of like two groups wanting to get things accomplished, but having two completely different ways in which to do it? And I hate that it kind of played out that way. You know, I'm one of those yeah. old school black people where, you know, it's like, don't, <laughs> you know, that, that our interracial squabbles, we're supposed to keep a little more in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, now you have people in on this conversation and trying to explain it, and it requires a lot of nuance and complexity, and I'm not really sure that that's there in larger discussions. But I understand both sides, and I understand Eric Reed and Colin Kaepernick's frustration. And I've said this before myself, is that when the players didn't involve Colin Kaepernick as part of a demand, I think they lost a lot of their leverage oh, yeah. because – you, as you're trying to get the NFL owners to reconcile and recognize, become more aware, and pressure them to be invested in a cause that, frankly, we know they're not invested in, you lose your leverage when you're willing to, to basically put Colin Kaepernick to the side and not make him a part of this. He's the force that made this all happen, and not only that, he's the one they're scared of. So you need to bring him to the table, and the moment 
not just the players' coalition, but the NFL players, period. The moment they allow the league to blackball him without some kind of collective response, to me, is the moment they lost this. No doubt. Well, uh, I wanted to ask you one thing, kind of bringing it home to the Triangle area. A lot of people may or may not know you worked for the Raleigh News and Observer from uh, 97 to 99 range. I was wondering, what what's your most memorable moment uh, from a coverage perspective of any of the schools slash teams here? Well, it was a few things. Um, one, it was the first time I'd ever even heard of or attended a CIAA tournament. Oh. Um, so, so that was so special. I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> I existed, but it was a great event and well-deserving of its reputation. I also attended my first black college football game because I had never been to one either at that point in my career, um, A&T uh, and Central. And mm. this is when they were Eagle playing Aggie. at, at, yeah. Yeah, at Carter, Carter Finley. And that was just a tremendous event. But, um, you know, it, it, it was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of stuff going on at that time. You know how college basketball is in that area. It's, it's, it's in the DNA of the entire triangle. And so when I was there, Vince Carter and Antoine Jamison was there, and I remember getting into many heated debates about who was going to be the better pro. And I kept trying to tell them it's going to be Vince Carter because prototypical two, crazy athlete. And even when they lost to Utah, in the final four, I mean, he was the only one that showed up. And I was like, no disrespect to Antoine Jameson, but that scoop shot and them putbacks only going to get you so far. <laughs> he, 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 he turned into a nice pro. This is not shading him. But I just knew the ceiling for Vince Carter was, yeah. like, just so, you know, so much higher. So to see him at that point, and even with Duke, uh, you know, Elton Brand, that's why I just look at it. The fact that Elton Brand is a, you know, is an executive now in the NBA. It's crazy, and right? And him from that time. I know it made me feel super old, him and Trajan Langdon. And, um, you know, Duke basketball being what it is. But uh, the one thing that I just loved about the area, it was just so many great sports stories and great sports teams. And to have all three of those schools, in addition to all the black colleges in the area, I mean, it, it is one of the most fun, most rewarding jobs that I ever had. I mean, to be in your early 20s and to be in that area covering those kind of things. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention, there was, you know, a young woman named Marion Jones who was just yeah. starting her, uh, really getting into the teeth of her track career. And so, you know, even looking back and thinking about some of the people I was able to interview and write about and build relationships with, it, it just really was an amazing experience. All right. Well, hey, I, I have a, another. We wanted your take on something else, too. Um, Jacksonville Jaguars. What's your take on what's going on with them? They started off so strong. They beat the Patriots. They were 2-0, and uh, won three out of their first four. And now there's a slide, and it's just surreal what's going on there, including the benching of uh, number five. What What do you? What's your take on that? What's your insight? Should have called Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> or should have made the trade for Teddy Bridgewater. One of the two, you know, um, they, I mean, everybody knew what the issue is. I mean, I know there are a lot of teams who have been built to be defensive-based and that be the solution with the idea being that we just need a quarterback. We don't need a quarterback that can win us the game. We just need a quarterback that won't lose the game. And Blake Mortals is a quarterback that will lose you the game more often than not. Hmm. And I know they had a great breakout year last year. Um, and, and really after a team has success, that's why what the Patriots do is so special and unique and why people really need to appreciate it. Because once people know that you're good, the how people play you changes. And I remember Serena Williams said this once about why she stopped watching film of a lot of her opponents. It's because 
what she saw on film was not the same effort that, that she saw on the court, meaning they turned into a totally different player. Like, they turned into Thanos when they saw her on the court. <laughs> and it's the same thing with the Jaguars. Like, now that, you know, you have been put into this new stratosphere of being a potential Super Bowl contender, um, Jalen Ramsey out there talking, even though I love him when he talks, so I'm not here to diss him. Mm-hmm. So now that you have had a bit of a target on your back, how are you going to respond when people see the punch coming? And I think a lot of people knew their weakness was Blake Bortles. And even though the defense in the, in this losing streak has certainly let them down, mm-hmm. when you have a quarterback that's that much of a liability, it's just going to be hard to overcome that. And so to me, that's the issue they didn't address that they should have addressed and why they're in this position right now. Wow. Well, Jamel, our time is up, but we we so much appreciate Absolutely. you joining us. I want to say that the the only other person, a living person I've had as my Twitter avatar was you, and and I, <laughs> yeah, love and respect you. Uh, we appreciate Absolutely. you joining us today. The the 2018 National Association of Black Journalists Journalist of the Year. Boom. Give her her respect, <laughs> Jamel yes. Hill, y'all. Yes, God bless. Yes, right. yes. Thank you, guys. Choose wisely. Will I fall? Will I fly? Heal my soul. Fulfill my heart. Thank you for coming on back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill, where we just had the Jamel Hill. And you know, we always like to chill. Now we're going to talk college basketball. CL has some great content from us for us from ACC Media Day. Yes, ACC Media Day went down in Charlotte on Wednesday. And every year it's kind of funny to me just trying to make predictions so early in the season uh, especially with with the player superlatives, I don't so much mind the team because you you kind of get a feel beforehand for who's going to finish where. So I'll, I'll give you some insight into my ballot this year, and I might surprise you with who I pick number one. Huh. Who who do you think I pick number one? By the way, I'm going to go Duke. I pick Carolina. This, wow! This is the that is a surprise. First time since I think I picked them. S- 2017, 2016-2017 season, I think I picked them first then. But um, I I just have a feeling, like, uh, coming into it, I thought I was thinking I was going to pick Duke. Uh-huh. But I don't I don't know what it is. I think maybe that I feel like uh, I, I feel more assured at point guard. I think I think Kobe White is going to end up being the man at point guard for mm-hmm. them and, and solidify the position. Not to say he's going to play out of his mind or anything, but mm-hmm. it's one of those deals kind of like uh, it's one of those deals where you just can't be hurt by that position. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to have a star. You right. got to have somebody who can manage. So if you can do that, you'll be fine. Hmm. So I, I think they have. I think they have the talent in place. I have Duke second. I predicted uh, Virginia third, mm-hmm. Syracuse fourth, which I think uh, I think that might be higher than on on a lot of other uh, people's ballots. But um, I went with the Cuse. They got a lot returning. Uh, scoring finally shouldn't be a problem for that for them this year. Okay. As, it, as it's been in the past. But I really think there are a bunch of teams in the ACC, really teams four through eight, I'll say, mm-hmm. well, more like seven, that can just, it could be any kind of finish. 
Florida State, Clemson, Virginia Tech, they all returned a lot. The ACC as, as a conference, the teams in the top returned a lot of talent with the mm-hmm. exception of Duke. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> Duke got an infusion of talent, so they're not short on that end by any respects. But anyway. I agree. Yes, yes. So uh, player of the year, I picked Luke May, too. And, and, nice. And, all of that is based on what he did in the past. Right, that has nothing right. to do with yes. – because I think his role on this year's Carolina team mm-hmm. might be in terms of what they need him to score and that kind of thing. I think mm-hmm. it might be diminished a little bit based on the other people that will be around him. Interesting. But that doesn't mean he'll have any less of – I think he'll still be a great player. Right. But, you know, I mean, his numbers might just look differently. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so move, moving on to Coach of the Year, which mm-hmm. we don't predict. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's funny award because – Coach K can never win Coach of the Year. Roy Williams can never win Coach of the Year. Like, because you have such high expectations. Sure, Tony Bennett yeah. is moving in that neighborhood, too. True. Where, where you know, it's going to be somebody who exceeds somebody that might be picked 12th and then end up finishing 6th or 5th, and then all of a sudden, oh, that's the Coach of the Year because right. they're not as bad as we thought they were going to be. Hmm. But it's it's always fun. It's still yeah. all in fun. That's awesome. You know, folks, I got to say to our listening audience, that is a small miracle. You got to understand how unbiased this man is and to have picked tar- some people are, oh, he's a homer. I, I promise you, he's the opposite of being a homer. So that's some well thought out stuff. Thank you, CL. Good stuff. Now, let, how about this? Why don't we get some words from Tar Heel players themselves about what they're thinking about the season and, and what, how, what they're working on, that type of thing. Let's start with Kenny Williams, and he's going to talk a little bit about team chemistry. Team chemistry is a huge part of what we do and who we are. And, you know, with uh, three freshmen coming in and uh, you know, adding two more walk-ons, uh, the fact that we've been able to get along the way that we have is it was kind of impressive because we mesh we all mesh so well and uh we we just like spending time with each other and this is all stuff that you guys have have heard before from previous teams but um you know how close we are right now at this point point in the season already is is it was kind of incredible all right next up is Cameron Johnson. He talks about his inspired road back. The fact that I got here to this position to play on this team is just a wonderful opportunity that, first of all, that I can't thank anybody but the Lord for giving me. Um, but then on top of that, you know, I came into this season, uh, first game, hurt my neck, out for that game. Preparing for the second game, for my meniscus, out for six weeks. So, you know, just, just... I tried not to let that get to me and that relied a lot on my family, my faith, and you know, people around me. Um, and it just helped me get through all of that. And finally, for this show, Seventh talks about that jump out the gym ability. Seventh, a lot of people believe that athletically you have an opportunity to really put a signature on your time here at Carolina. What do you think about that? Does that motivate you? Uh, it's definitely motivating. My MO as a basketball player has definitely been my athletic ability. I feel like being able to show that, being able to be 100% healthy, uh, fun. I'm eager to see what I can accomplish this season. You're gonna go viral again, like you did with the one, the one dunk over the summer, the Bahamas. I mean, I'm not gonna say I try to go viral, but I mean, having a exciting dunk is always reassuring as far as my health and my ability to. If it happened, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> There you have it. We promised that we'd talk to players, and we delivered here on Sibling Rivalry Sports. But, hey, we're not done. Come on back. We have someone from Appalachian State University. Reggie Hunt is going to tell you about the excitement of being ranked right here on Sibling Rivalry Sports 97.9 The Hill.
Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. It's time for five minutes of funk. When we have a great conversation with someone of relevance this week, it is the Student Athlete Leadership Coordinator at Appalachian State University, also known as the Team Chaplain at Appalachian State University, but better known as the de facto Mayor of Boone, Reggie Hunt. Reggie, how you doing? Man, I'm so excited to be on the line with you guys, man. Thanks for having me. It's always exciting to hear you too, and uh, just excited to be on the, on the place, man. A lot of good things happening at Appalachian State University. And that's what we want to talk to you about, some of these good things that are going on up there in the mountains. What is the feel like around town now that you guys are officially ranked for the first time ever, uh, 25th ranked in the AP poll? There's a lot of excitement in Boone. Uh, of course, uh, it, it, it takes a lot of work uh, to build the program and the culture that Appalachian was built over the last several years. But now I'm starting to see it pay off. There's a lot of excitement. Uh, in the town, a lot of excitement on campus, a lot of excitement in the athletic department. Uh, you know, a few years ago when we beat Michigan, we received a vote, uh, but that's different than actually being ranked. And so there's a lot of excitement, uh, and we want to sustain it. Got a big game on Thursday night, uh, and we want to continue that, uh, that momentum that we have. I, I was going to wait for the Michigan story, but I, I wanted to, to jump in and ask you about that because you were on the sidelines for that, that historic upset when they went to the big house and won in Ann Arbor, Michigan. What's probably your favorite memory from that game or, or from that whole trip? You know, I, I, I would if I could share two instead of one, uh, the first memory with that was we walked into the Michigan Stadium the day before uh, which we rarely do. We rarely go into the stadium day before, and the, uh, one of the team captains told everybody, hey, look up at that stadium. Look around. He said, it's simply more concrete. And then he said, look at that stadium. He said, don't look up again until we win. That was, like, powerful. That was powerful. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that that was kind of the mindset. Don't look up again until we win. My favorite memory in the game, though, uh, was uh, when Dexter Jackson caught the pass uh, and scored the touchdown. It's a picture that's on the cover of the Sports Illustrated magazine. Oh, yeah. um, our speed was just phenomenal. And that's when I kind of knew, hey, we've got a great opportunity uh, to really be in this game. So those are probably two of my favorite memories. Um, I, I give the pregame to all of uh, to all of the App State football teams. So uh, on that day, uh, I was pretty nervous trying to figure out what I was going to say before that game. Because hmm. uh, Coach doesn't really talk on uh, that much on game day, and uh, and I had the whole room, so it was it was a real special time. Hey Reggie, we're going to let you out on this one real quick. Uh, I want to get your response to the phrase. And one title we left out was Reggie Hunt is our first cousin, so he's been in on ground level of the sibling rivalry, but. Chris once told you back in the day after elementary school when you guys would come over to our house, he wanted he was trying to get you to play football with us. Do you remember the phrase, no football, no Atari, sorry? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> you, yes, would you like I to did. address Was it not effective? It was an effective motivation just to get you. Later, you were a successful quarterback in junior high and high school that just needed to get you to realize your potential. 
<laughs> yes, yes, I, I remember. You know, it wasn't just that I didn't want to play, man. It was that I was playing with people like five and ten years older than me. But it, 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 it was a, it was an early it was an early piece of tough love in a large family. You know, I, I will tell you that 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 later on, I will say this later on, that no football, no Atari starring team came back to play in my all-star game that I still have on CD right now where oh, I, yeah. I, I yeah. threw and we won we won uh won our, our Archie Bowl, one of our last yes. Archie Bowls at Mount Tabor High School. Uh, I, and, and they say that it was because I was the only one that had cleats. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I That's just called good passes. planning. I, I, I could throw if I if I if the spread offense would have been released when I was coming up, I think I would have had a future because I could definitely throw on the run. I could throw on the run. I proved that. I threw a pass that escaped the hands of cousin Harold Fields and, went, and, and, and you know and, and they say it was only because I had cleats, but I can't figure out why everybody else showed up at a football game without cleats. That's all I'm saying. Way to but plan in my mind, one point I did remember no football, no Atari sorry, and I wanted to make somebody pay. <laughs> okay. I, I still don't really take uh, claim of that, you know, publicly. But anyway, hey, we, we've thoroughly enjoyed this. We got to get out of here. It's time for us to, to end the show. Thank you for, for going five minutes of funk with us, Reggie. And uh, good luck uh, to Appalachian State the rest of the way. Folks, uh, we got to get out of here. But thank you so much for tuning in to Sibling Rivalry Sports here on 97.9 The Hill. My name is Chris Brown. I'm C.L. Brown. And this is Sibling, Sibling Rivalry, Rivalry Sports. Sports.